We were truly sorry to hear today that this weekend's F1 race, the Emilia-Romagna at Imola, has been cancelled due to nearby flooding and the potential for landslides. We'd usually have some kind of wise-ass comment in this pre-show sketch spot about the situation. However, on this occasion, we won't. This is serious, as people have died as a result of this extreme weather event. Our thoughts are with the families of the people affected. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm hoping uh, this is a fit and well edition. I seem to have recovered from COVID. Hooray! Zog is with us. Are you fit and well, Zog? Pretty good, yeah. I had a little bit of a cold. Definitely not COVID. I did the test and it was just a uh, regular rhinovirusy thing. But I'm back to health. A rhinovirus, does that mean that when you see Land Rover Santanas going past, you have to charge them? He's just incredibly horny all the time. Oh! Hey! But ah, ah. We have a winner. And Alex Goy is with us. Hi, Alex. How are you? Hello. I'm all right. I've just got back from a lovely weekend away and I'm a little tired, a little wine tired. I can't drink as much as I used to anymore. Who can? Yeah. I know and I used to thank a man called Kevin in a bar called Bar Nost who made some very delightful cocktails. And the next day, I nearly threw up on some tourists on the Sacre Coeur. <laughs> That's not hyperbole. I was dry heaving over school children. It was not pretty. <laughs> oh, no, really? Where is Sacre Coeur? Forgive me for not knowing. Paris. La oh, Paris. Paris. Oh, it's okay. the hill yeah, in Paris. Oh, dear me. Great spot. And of course, that's where in Rendezvous à Paris, they ended oh, up. Oh, of course. Uh, yes. Uh, the Rendezvous is at Sacre Coeur. And you've got a great view over Paris. What's not to like? I haven't seen Rendezvous for a very long time. I'm going to have a look at that at some yeah. point. That was great. Alex, you've got some slightly disappointing news, though, haven't you? I mean, I've had better days. Yeah, my motor was sounding a little rough the other morning, so I put it on a flatbed back to my lovely Aston Martin fixers, the lovely folk at HWM Aston Martin, who I found... Well, they've existed for a while, but I found them and love them and they've dealt with me really well and they've been brilliant. And yeah, it sounded a little rough and I got a phone call this morning saying, yeah, you probably need a new engine. Oh no. Which is a lot of money and considering the value of the car and the amount of money I don't have, it's looking terminal. The good thing is Aston Martin made 15,000 of that sort of shape vantage, so there are loads more out there. We're not sending a car off to the scrap heap in the sky and there are plans afoot to do stuff to it to try and salvage it. So yeah, it won't be my car much longer. Whether or not it lives a life afterwards, I don't know. Basically, HLM have been brilliant and going, we've got an idea, don't worry. Whether or not that works, we don't know. Any chance of getting an engine out of another vehicle that somebody is scrapping? I don't know. I think that might be one of the things they're looking at. Basically, we now both have a vested interest in it because they need to lose as little money as possible and I need to lose as little money as possible. Yeah. So something will happen. I don't know the full extent of it at the moment because, you know, it happened this morning. But... Yeah, it's not been a great Tuesday. I wish you yeah. could see our faces, listeners, yeah, 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 <laughs> when Alex said that it happened this morning, not being the best Tuesday. So I could I both pulled the same, what I would describe as Wallace and Gromit face, where yeah. you see the gums, you go, oh, sharp yeah. intake of breath. The engine is a V8 5-litre, isn't it? Yeah, it's 4.7 V8s. 4.7. Similar block to 
the one that Jag uses and the one that Land Rover uses or used. Yeah. Uh, I should say. The thing is, I was saying this to friend of the show, Richard Porter. Oh, we've heard of him, yes. We were at Goodwood's members meeting together and he was talking about his Range Rover, which is a five litre supercharged V8. And I was talking about my Aston, which is same engine basically don't come at me in the comments but yeah. a similar engine and i went i think by now they'll be fine because they figured out how to make them and he went don't say that and touched all the wood and i texted him this morning went remember when you told me not to say actually i can read you the message remember when i said the jlr aston should know how to build engines by now and your range slash my aston should be bulletproof well never let me say anything like that again because my Aston's motor has gone pop and I now no longer have an Aston Martin. (laughs) I feel your pain. Listen, the way I see it is that that car has intrinsic value as an Aston Martin. If it was, I don't know, a a Morris uh, 1800 or something, you'd be less likely to want to keep it on the road and invest in it because the rest of the car is in immaculate shape, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's got a bit of chin stubble because it's a car and it's low to the road, so it could do with a bit of a T cut down there. Couldn't we all? It's got the same, yeah, <laughs> it's got the same. Uh, so that generation of Vantage, they've got this lovely sort of cascading dash thing where the sat nav screen is and it goes in all the buttons and where the sat nav screen's cut out one of the corners always kind of cracks. All of them have got that. The replacement part, I did ask, £2,000, sir. <laughs> years so i didn't do that the rest of it yeah absolutely kicking absolutely wonderful in good shape nothing creaks nothing rattles nothing is untoward it's just got you know fifty thousand miles of wear and tear on it so it's a car it's perfectly serviceable apart from the fact that it doesn't really move so it's not really perfectly serviceable is it? Um, <laughs> minor detail i was talking about this with a couple of people this morning and the thing is you know i bought it four and a bit years ago as a, I want to scratch the itch, I want to see what happens. I want to do an Aston while I still can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you roll a dice with anything like that. And I had four and a half years, almost four and a half years, of pretty much bang on the car being fine. There was a bit in COVID where a dealer had it and ruined it for a while, but I couldn't have driven it in COVID anyway, so it didn't really matter. I've been up and down the country in it. I've been to events. I've seen people and friends, and it's been a wedding car. It's been cooed over. It's been showed off, and I've loved every minute of it. You can't say fairer than that. Yes, the depreciation on this particular example is perhaps a little higher than I was hoping, but... But you've had good use out of it, is what you're saying. Yeah. You've had good use and you've enjoyed it. I had four and a half odd years of actually having an Aston and using it like a car. And when people go, oh, what have you got that for? It's like, it's a car. So I used it as a car and it was great. Yep. And yeah, I don't regret it for a second. I regret perhaps not switching out for an F-Type three months ago, but yeah, there's the brakes. I'm hearing <laughs> yeah. a bit of past tense in what you're saying. It sounds to me that psychologically you've already moved on and you're thinking about your next car. I was already pondering that anyway, but I was going to wait till I hit five years before I did that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. I've been having F-type flavoured thoughts after driving them through Spain a couple of months ago. Yeah, nice idea. Mm. That. Yeah, that would do everything pretty much the Aston does, wouldn't it, really? Yeah. Pretty much, with yeah. more power and less stability. Well, perhaps your next car, Alex, could be Mm. something that Zog brought to our attention this week, which I missed completely. And that is a car with a bit of rock and roll provenance. Is that the right word? It used to belong to Mike Skinner of The Streets, who is my favourite British 
rapper because he raps in his own accents somewhere between Solly Hall and North London You're fit. I think and uh, my gosh don't you just know it dun, I love dun, him dun, 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 we've dun, done dun, uh, two, uh, a song I think in the style of streets on Gareth Jones on Speed About Le Bon many 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 years ago but I'm getting off topic here he likes his cars and he had a fantastic car which was a 1974 Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow which appeared on the sleeve of a streets album wasn't it which one i've got it written down here the hardest way to make an easy living of course yes and it's up for sale for how much do we know most recent bid is twenty thousand five hundred. just came to my attention because it had popped up on twitter and it seemed to be a little divisive shall we say you know it's getting a lot of love but also quite a bit of hate there are definitely a lot of people of the why do people hate it well it was along the lines of why would you do something so terrible to a lovely Rolls Royce? You know, it's a lovely classic motor. What are you doing all this dumb to it for? The wheels, the kind of solid rim, low profile wheels and tyres and the slight lowering of the car seem to attract a lot of anger. Yeah, it just it, it rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. I've had a look at it. I mean... I think it's fantastic. I think it's I think it's yeah. you know, I, I love it. And I believe this was spec by Mike Skinner. I think he had it done. Yeah, he did stuff to it. Yeah. Let's talk about what the car looks like for those who haven't seen it. Very briefly, if you just Google Mike Skinner 1974 Rolls Royce, it'll pop up and, and you can see what we're talking about. But it's a 1974 Rolls Royce silver shadow it's slammed it's on massive wheels it's got a dubiously legal tint it's got seats from a 928 in the front and then seats made to match in the rear and suicide doors suicide suicide doors doors. we can't call them that they are carriage doors we cannot call them that yeah Okay, whatever you want to call them, it's working for me. I love the seats. I do like those wheels, and the slightly lowered look is okay for me. Apparently, it's air suspension, so it's not such a big deal that it's dropped. I think this should be your next car, Alex. Come on. What's not to love about a customised ex-pop star Rolls-Royce? 20 grand price tag, maybe. The many bills that can go with a heavily modified <laughs> V8 Rolls-Royce, but <laughs> I do think it's very cool. I'm firmly on the yes camp for that. There was a guy a few years ago who built what he called ZFG cars and one of them was the ZFG Rolls-Royce. It was sort of a rat rod, rat look thing which got my double thumbs up. I think it's great. I think it's a really cool thing. The big wheels and the arse on the deck look suits it no end and the interior is really cool as well. I think it's a wonderful thing but I'm slightly biased because I think Rolls-Royce of all the car brands, with the possible exception of, I don't know, Cadillac, is the most rock and roll car brand. You drive a Rolls-Royce into a swimming pool. Because it's good for your voice. You drive a Rolls-Royce because it's good for your voice. You know, you paint your Rolls to look like John Lennon's Rolls. It's got a great rock and roll heritage. Slade have had plenty of Rolls-Royces and plenty of Bentleys in their history of car ownership as well. So I do like a Rolls-Royce. I'm very fond of Rolls-Royce. This particular interpretation, I can see why it might have split people. Because it is beautifully executed. It's got a lovely deep shine. It's painted a gloss black. The fact that it sits low, it looks a bit custom car and a bit weird for a Rolls Royce, but it wears it well. And those giant, like you said, stainless steel wheels, which are ultra, ultra, ultra low profile. I've got a real 1930s world land speed record quality about them. I think it's quite nice, but... Yeah, they do. 
I think it's nicer on the inside. Those nine yeah. two eight seats. Yeah, they were. Well they? done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. And that kind of a nice sort of deep brown kind of chestnutty colour. A little lighter than chestnut, maybe. But no, I think it's a great look. Yeah, caramel almost. If I was feeling a little bit reckless and I had 21 grand sitting around, I'd be tempted. To be, <laughs> I really would. You know, to be fair, I'm not sure, Alex, that you could really every day this car in the way that you did your Aston. It might be a little punchy to do that, yeah. yeah. Every other day, maybe. Every other day, yeah. We yeah. can do an every other day. It's a special occasion car. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a great wedding car. If I was going to set up a wedding car business, I think I'd choose that. Because the carriage doors make it easy for the bride to gain access to the rear in her voluminous dress, or their voluminous Mm -hmm. dress. It would certainly stand out. It's not a classic white Rolls-Royce, but Rolls-Royce is a de-rigger wedding vehicle yeah i might buy it and start a business actually thinking about it rock and roll weddings Uh, if any listeners are going to go for this car we want to hear about it if anyone buys this car let us know let us know how it works out yeah i'm curious as to what's wrong with you i mean yeah buy that it'll be great yeah (laughs) (laughs) we think this car's great somebody else buy it for us tell us what you think i honestly i think it's brilliant i think it's ace yeah Uh, it is a slightly ludicrous vehicle and we like ludicrous yeah that's okay and there's another ludicrous vehicle which you guys brought to my attention this week which i'd very much like to talk about by they're called the little car company and what they've built is a full-size working version of the 1980s tamiya radio controlled car the wild one so they call this the wild one max full size yeah what a great idea. <laughs> Reverse engineering a model to full size. What a car. So I have experience with the little car company. Oh. So you know what they do already? Yep. They make little versions of big cars. So you can get a Bugatti Type 35. You can get a DB5. You can get a Ferrari Testarossa. And now you can get the Tamiya. Just to be clear, those little cars that they're making, they're kind of kids cars aren't they is that right well, no that? so they're sort of fighting this battle of them being a toy company which they kind of are but also mm. kind of aren't because the bugatti starts at 35 grand which is a lot for a toy it's a lot a lot for a toy yeah people buy them to match their cars they buy them as objets d'art they buy them as things just to have around to get around the place but to be clear are they roadly you know can you drive them on the road can they fit an adult or are they small person size you can fit adults in them i fit in the type 35 i fit in the aston i fit in the testarossa the tamia is road legal so it is a vehicle you can drive on the road. Same classification as a Renault Twizy. A quadricycle. Yeah, it's 20 horsepower. It's got a chunky roll cage. Yeah, it's quite a cool thing. They'll be doing 100 in 2024? Or is it the launch edition? It's a Baja bug. Yeah. A Baja buggy, you might say, not a bug. But yeah, a minimum automobile. Basically a roll cage with a motor, transmission and some wheels hanging off it and a device for steering it and not much else. When you think yeah. about it, it's not a billion miles from the aerial atom is it no i suppose it isn't exactly yeah yeah no it's a very similar in a way i was lucky enough in january to go to their hq and have a quick look around it i mean i was i was there for other things but um yeah i had to had a look at the prototype um and it's all some crimes going by sorry friends oh sounds like crime yeah it's a lot of crime Go on, f*** off. There we are. So I was lucky enough in January, I happened to be in the right place at the right time and went into their facility and had a look at the prototype Tamiya. Now, the pictures make it look kind of small. 
it's really quite big. <laughs> it's life-sized, or rather being a life-sized version of the Tamiya radio-controlled car original. Now, those RC cars are usually one-tenth scale, is that right? Yeah. So this isn't so much a, a one-tenth scale car, it's a ten-times scale Yeah, model. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a scaled up, yeah. you know, it's a 10 times scale model, I guess. Yeah. And it really does look like the picture on the box of the Tamiya yeah. Wild one. They work really hard. It's got very tall suspension towers with visible springs and dampers at the front. It's got the right colour scheme. The wheels are more or less the right size. I think they're slightly small, but you can see why. You don't want to carry that amount of unsprung weight. It depends where you're going to use it. But it, it really does. I mean, I've got... Tamiya radio control cars. I was no expert in the 80s. I did my original RC work in the 70s and Mardave were the big car manufacturers for me and I spent a lot of time with aircraft. But I got into RC electric cars during the pandemic and learned a mm. lot about the back catalogue of Tamiya vehicles, which I never enjoyed at the time, but I absolutely would have done. And this speaks to me, as does the Rolls-Royce that speaks to me through the rock and roll door. This gets me through the RC car door. I mean, I'm kind of running out of things to love cars for. The next one's going to have to be either a Slade-themed car or a Star Trek-themed car. Mm. Yeah, And you've got me. You've got me. There isn't anything else. This Tamiya thing looks a little bit, and this is deep, deep Trek, well, not deep Trek, lore, but a film that very few people like. Looks a little bit like the buggy in... The Argo. Yeah, Nemesis. Yeah, it's called the Argo. Yeah, it's the rough terrain vehicle, which was specially built for, I think we've talked about this in the programme before, specially built for Star Trek, but based on a real Baja chassis, quite a lot bigger because it could carry, uh, well, it carried three people, I think, or four people in the movie, three if I remember. Wolf was on the gun mount on the rear, yeah. Captain, I do not understand the human's predilection for unreasonable, unsafe velocities, he said, something like that, data. (laughs) So, right, so I've gone off track again. It's not very powerful, though, and it's only got a tiny battery, but. That's probably appropriate, isn't it? Yeah. You're not going to want to go very far in that thing, are you? You know, it's, no. Uh, no. it's something that you're going to want for a quick blast of fun. Yeah, it's a proper lightweight EV. Proper lightweight EV. Yeah. Yeah, there aren't many of those around. Uh, briefly, can we talk very briefly about, we've mentioned it before, the MG Cyberster, terrible name, which it's I was very excited about being a lightweight EV roadster. It's not lightweight in any way, yeah, is lightweight, it? Lightweight, question mark. No, no, it's uh, getting off of two tonnes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a shame it's carrying so much weight because really, you know, I prefer to see, particularly if you're doing something that's trying to be, something that aspires to be a sports car, you know, that, that should be lightweight. You should be compromising on other areas, perhaps, to get the weight down a bit rather than giving us something that's quite so beefy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the shine off it. If you're going to make a lightweight EV sports car... Surely you do away with regular batteries and, I don't know, you use supercapacitors because you don't need very much. You know, you do everything you can to make that battery pack lightweight, don't you? Mm. Are there any production road EVs that use supercapacitors rather than batteries? Only the River Simple Rasa, which has no battery on board at all. It's a hydrogen fuel cell car and it has supercaps to store additional energy for boost mm. but yeah that's the yeah, only one I can think of I think. yeah 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 well there must be a packaging safety or cost reason why it's not viable for production road vehicles and mm. consuming 
They charge instantly. There's a certain amount of loss of power, isn't there, with a supercapacitor. Toyota used to use it in their Le Mans car, but then they ditched supercapacitors and went to batteries, didn't they? Yeah. Intriguing. Mm. The charge storage thing could definitely conceivably be an issue there that I don't know how well it would keep a charge for a few days, how much you'd lose over a few days. I imagine it would be more than a battery for sure. The only thing that disappoints me about the little car company Wild One Max is that it actually has a steering wheel. I don't think it should. I think you should have full-size servos, and I think you should sit in the driver's seat with a radio-controlled transmitter with a wheel controller and have to drive it from that. That that would be the most authentic thing. If not a little wayward, imagine trying to do that. (laughs) That on an A-road. No! You'd still be able to hear the screaming name. I mean, yeah, I kind of like the idea, but I also think, yeah, I wouldn't want to be sharing a road with anybody else who's controlling a vehicle that way. Correct. Gareth Jones on Speed News Bubble. Tesla announced this week that they've stopped production of right-hand drive versions of their Model X and Model S cars. Somewhat surprisingly, though, it's believed that this will make almost no difference whatsoever to drivers of Teslas in the UK. As frankly, it doesn't matter where the bloody driver sits, because 90% of the time the car's in autopilot mode. Safe as houses. Heck, you'd be as safe as in a starship, even. I think if there's a theme to this episode of Gareth Jones on speed today, it might be oddball ideas or other odd ideas that may or may not be successful. And I want to start with talking about a very oddball idea, a car which I think has been successful since, what, 1965 in some form or another. It's the car that they can't kill once it was called the Mini Moke, now it's the Moke, and there's a new version. Alex, have you driven one? I've been doing a driving. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, Moke is back. There's a company called Moke International, and it builds a new Moke. In all in the UK, it's electric. It's not based on an original Moke chassis if that makes sense because the originals are essentially old minis with the roof peeled off and a roll cage put on and it's all very shiny and lovely right the new one is a sort of custom built thing it's also 10 percent roughly bigger than the original the reason for this being that they can be built under the us's repro laws without being penalized for it so you can go a little bit bigger which helps moke in that it means you can put more batteries in it. Yeah. Because it's all electric, so it's got a 10.8 kilowatt-hour battery that lives sort of in the pontoons. Down, well, some of it's sort of pontoons underneath and, and hidden away in its body. Under the bonnet is the electric motor. And then in the pontoons themselves, there are little storage areas, and there's a plug, so you can plug it in, obviously. There's a storage area in the back, so you can put your scuba gear or lifestyle beach whatever stuff in there. Interestingly, it's rear-wheel drive. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. Why the heck are they doing that? Hang on, the motor is in the bonnet, but they've got a drive shaft. The motor's in the front, but the 
drives at the rear, which is really cool. Why? I don't know. Uh, it can't go fast enough to do skids, sadly. It'll top out at 50 miles an hour uh, and do 80 miles on a charge. It's a cool thing. Like The only options are really, do you want a roof and what colour do you want it? And that's kind of it. It's a beach holiday car, isn't it? It's designed for people who might rent out these sort of vehicles short term for places in the south of France or the Caribbean or the US. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Moke International's website, they're aggressively marketing to three groups of people. The people of Sandbanks, the people of Saint-Tropez and Miami, (laughs) basically. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of it. They're about 35 grand before you get started. Mm. Well, just over, sorry. Which is quite a lot of money, but if you're in their target market, it's not. The price is interesting because I look back at what the original Moak sold for. When it was introduced in the UK, it was £405 for the base model. If you adjust that for inflation, mm. that would be about £6,700 today. £6,700. The new incarnation of the Moke is massively more expensive than the vehicle that it was inspired by. Mm. And that's kind of interesting because the original Moke has interesting history in that it was, I think, the original intention was that it was going to be a cheap military utility vehicle. It was originally designed as a sort of troop carrier, which I kind of get why they thought about it, because it was supposed to be dropped out of planes and what have you. Yeah, and weight is very important for that. So you could get people on the ground in a car moving along. The only issue with that is that it's very low off the ground, so the kind of terrain you're dropping cars out of planes onto, probably not paved, and also the lack of, I don't know, doors or a roof does make the occupants quite open to being shot. (laughs) Mind you, I'm going to suggest in all seriousness that as a mobility aid, as a vehicle for parachute-borne troops, being able to move people is way more important than any armour plating. You know, they'd probably strip off the armour plating in any case just to make it lighter so they could fit another one or two in the plane. Exactly. You can get your people away from wherever they dropped to wherever it is that the thing that they want to blow up is. War is fought on a number of fronts. Intelligence, military intelligence, some people say that's a misnomer. Yeah. Intelligence, capability, logistics. logistics and volume. And the original version of the Minimoke wasn't conceived as an armoured vehicle they had those you cannot drop those they're too heavy but if you want to move troops a large number very quickly you need a very lightweight vehicle in fact the mokas i remember the original isigonis mini moke was based on an idea he had called the nuffield guppy which was a lightweight drop from an aircraft sort of vehicle this worked because the raf and the marines have dropped lightweight Land Rovers out of the back mm. of Hercules's. Is that the correct plural? Herculeum. And I've done it myself. I did it on an episode of The Big Bang where I stood on the ramp of a Hercules C-130 flying over Swindon, I think we were, and I pressed the button that released the cord that dropped the Land Rover out the back. I watched it go and parachute down. Then I drove the Land Rover. It was fantastic. Nice. So it is a practical idea. That was the very origins of the Moke. But the Moke was important possible to kill it's had about three different lives i remember this because way back in what 1981 when i first moved to london i worked in a laboratory in battersea and directly opposite the mill where my laboratory was based was i think they were just called moke at the time or mini moke possibly they sold or imported 
from what I remember, Portuguese-built smokes, mm. which were built in the old Leyland plant in Portugal, and they had, I think, 12-inch wheels rather than the 10-inch wheels of the original, and they were equipped with a radio and stuff like this. It was a leisure vehicle. Yeah. Every day I used to see them outside painted in bright colours, thinking when I'm rich and famous, I would love one of those. And in fact, many years later, when I went to Barbados on holiday, I rented a moak, and I think it may have been one of those moaks prepped in Battersea and had such fun sliding it around. I mean, the perfect little island car. Love the moak. They are fun. The new yeah. one appeared at the Miami Grand Prix, didn't it? They used it as a shuttle car. Did they? So this is something I'm a little unsure of. Oh. There are two moaks. Oh. But it probably was. If it was Miami, it probably was. But there's Moke International and there's Moke America. Oh. So when I spoke to them, it's like, do make it very clear in your copy that it's not Moke America, mm. it's Moke International. They do different things. The Moke America ones can't go quite as quickly. And I don't think they're as big. I think they're different chassis. But yes, Moke International, if, if it was Miami, almost certainly. I didn't watch the Grand Prix, so I can't tell you. But yeah, small-ish. It's a lot taller than you think. There's loads of ground clearance. Good. It's fun. You've got a Bluetooth stereo you've got dab radio it's bright and bouncy it's a great thing but yeah to get back to your point it is very very expensive compared to the original but it's not the original to the extent where it's not an old mini with bits peeled off they've had to build the chassis they've had to homologate everything separately and you can see where there are parts that have already been homologated using for example it's got those big circular headlamps those led things that mx5 owners put in their cars it's got those in it it's got bits you can see but they've made it a lot bigger and they've made it a lot chunky you can actually get four grown-ups in it now which is good it's a cool thing but it is very much a toy it's a very silly toy if i lived in saint Tropez and had a lovely villa and wanted to trundle up and down to the beach great yeah and it's an interesting example and we've talked about this before of how the electric era the era of the electric vehicle mm. is providing opportunities for a lot of kind of old school classic vehicles that people have a lot of affection for to be reborn in a new incarnation. Yeah. I think this is a really great little niche to be filled in that way because as with the Tamiya we were talking about in part one, you know, this isn't something that anybody is going to want to use all day, every day. It's not an everyday driver unless you are literally living on a beach in Barbados. Mm-hmm. And so if it has a limited range and it doesn't have a tremendous top speed, that's fine. It does seem a little bit expensive, but again, you know... It's a toy. Yeah, it's a toy, and there will be enough people, there'll be enough individuals, and there'll be enough hotel groups, you know, or whatever, yeah. you know, companies in, in the leisure sector who are going to want to buy one or a handful of these to make it a viable product. So I think, you know, we're going to be seeing these out there. And, yeah. yeah. The Moak, the new Moak, it's not called the E-Moak, is it? It's just called the Moak? No, it's, it's just called the Moak. The Moak. Moak International Moak. Moak. It's, it's not Moke. based on the one that, Geely have been manufacturing since 2013 in China, by any chance. Is it? Because I think there was an electric... Actually, it wouldn't have been electric. It would have been internal combustion engine moke. Yeah, I know the moke has lived on in all parts of the world in different ways. I think it's intriguing the way that the brand moke can be shared across a number of manufacturers now who can make this car. And they seem Mm -hmm. to be able to do it without ending in court, suing each other. Yeah, there's room for lots of little mokes. Oh, I love the moke. Lots of little mokes all over the place. Lovely, lovely. And you know why the moke is always going to be inherently cool? Not just because it was Isikinikinogenosis who designed it, but its greatest cool credit 
is a film credit or a TV series credit, of course. Uh, hang on, what was it? Um, the Prisoner. Correct. Oh, of course, yeah. I am not a number. I am a free man. Of course, of course. Yeah, The okay, Prisoner, okay. it's used to ferry all the inmates around the village, which is, of course, Port Medion in North Wales. That's yeah. where it was filmed. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of want to moke for that reason as well. I used to drive a mini scamp because back in the oh, 60s and the 70s, there were a number of, if you like, moke knockoffs, kit cars that would take an old Mini and you could convert it into something that looked very much like a moke. And the one mm. I used to drive around in, and I have to say this, and don't tell anyone I told you this, I drove around without a driving license in London Naughty. in 1981 on a number of occasions belonged to uh, Palamine. We used to use it for ferrying backline equipment around to rehearsal rooms for the band I used to work for. And that was a mini scamp. And then I had another one because in 1987, when I was making Get Fresh, the second year of three years of Get Fresh, the spacecraft that we travelled around in was called the Millennium dustbin and it looked like a sort of a giga thing made out of bits of old hose and stuff and someone at border television had the bright idea that we needed a kind of a shuttle vehicle for me to drive around town in so they found a mini scamp and converted it to look rather like the millennium dustbin oh, it was all green I, it was really cool i've got pictures of it maybe i'll post it somewhere for you yeah, guys to see yes, so i've got a really long association with the mocha at a great number of levels it seems to have never have ever have ever left me and one day when i'm rich and famous and living in the south of france or barbados i'm going to buy one of these mochas, especially if they're 10 percent bigger that makes good sense doesn't it? i think so hey yes that's one of my fantasies do you want to hear my other fantasy well the other broadcastable fantasy <laughs> Go on then. Yeah. We love cars. We love sports cars. We love extreme sports cars. We love Le Mans. We've got hypercar in Le Mans. But there are a great number of cars which don't race in race series, as far as I know at the moment, uh, certainly not at Le Mans, which I would love to see competing in some kind of balance of performance thing. I'm going to call this race series Ultra GT, GT for gas top, right? <laughs> Ultra <laughs> GT for GT, Grand Touring Cars. Top of the list is a car that was supposed to be in the hypercar class, but never made it. The Aston Martin Valkyrie. Right? Imagine mm-hmm. yep, yep. a couple of those in race colours. That's a good start. Add to that the Brabham BT62. You know, mm-hmm. David yeah, Brabham yeah. has been developing this car, which is an ultra track and race car. I think they've got a GT3 version of it now. Imagine if you could sort of hypercar that up. It looks good. looks good. Other cars you could have in there. How about the Lotus? Do we say Evaya? Is that how we say it? Yeah, uh, yeah Evaya. Evaya. Yeah. yeah, I want to say Evaya every time I see it or Evija. But imagine if you could make that go for 50 miles at racing speeds, how amazing that would be to compete against the Valkyrie and the BT62. Add to that another EV. Why don't you bring in the Pininfarina Batista, which is one of the fastest EVs on the planet, as far as I know. And because it's made of basically the same underpinnings, the Rimats Navara, which you've driven, Alex, it's haven't you? It's really, really good. OK, so what are the rules for this Ultra GT series? To be discussed. Is this any fast road-going car and we'll figure out the balance of performance later? Exactly that. Run what okay. you're wrong. Yeah. OK. Turn up. Is this like the drugged-up Olympics idea? 
what's that? <laughs> oh, so it must have been floating around for years and years and years and years and years. But the idea being that the Olympics is so incredibly regulated for drugs and substances to make sure everything's fair, that it's limit of human performance, whatever. What would happen if you just let people take loads of drugs? <laughs> well, the sprints would probably take a lot more time, depending on which drugs they've taken, you know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like, choose your own adventure. Do you want to be coked off your d***s? Do you want to be 99% nandrolone? Do you just want to take your asthma medication? For some reason, you're making me think of Eurovision at the weekend, but that's a whole other subject. Eurovision is a drugged-up Olympics, isn't it? Well, You've got no, to look no, at no. those people. <laughs> but my nomination for this series, I think, would be the Bugatti Chiron Supersport. Oh, of course. Now, we haven't yes. had Bugattis racing for a while, have we? I think it'd be good to see the name back in a race series. And if this is a race series that we can have any absurdly fast road car in, yeah. stick the Supersport in there. Definitely. 300 mile an hour plus top speed. Wonderful. I'm guessing it wouldn't be able to make that on any of the tracks the series would take it to. Yeah. But yeah, I think I'd like to see that racing. Well, we designed the race series, the tracks that it raced at, to reflect the skills of all the cars taking part. And maybe, you know, the balance of power could even mean that the Bugatti's got to do, I don't know, 12 laps but the Evaya has only got to do five laps or something. It starts later. So, you know, we calculate it in whatever way you do. And it's a bit like Le Mans. You've got cars with a very broad range of abilities racing at the same time. And there can be an ultimate winner, but there'll always be a winner in each class, like the EV mm. class, the super ultra GT class, the road going class. I think this has to be a series in which there are no subdivisions of classes. If you're going to do this ultra GT thing, given that there are only going to be a handful of vehicles in this fantasy series of ours they've all got to be competing for the same bit of silverware ultimately they all are yes but of course there's winner in each category as well i think i, I mean it's the same as le mans isn't it they're racing for le trophy le vainqueur de 24 du mont you know that's the thing that they're racing yeah. for yeah i'd like to see uh, some kind of way of making this bop work and i guess it's quite an ask but enabling all of these things to actually just start and finish at the same time and have a proper competition in the same category. Could you make this kind of thing work? Is it realistic? Could you do it? Almost certainly not, but worth a try. You could bang them all on a tourist and fart on the ring and watch them go. You could do that, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun enough. Yeah, you could probably yeah, well, do a couple of laps of Indianapolis as one of your circuits. You could yeah. probably do Laguna Seca as one of your circuits. You could possibly even do Brands Hatch as one of your circuits. You see what I'm going to? A real fantasy. Imagine picking the greatest circuits, the circuits you'd love to see yeah. these cars, these amazing cars run at. Hey, it's got legs. It's something I want to discuss. If you want to talk to me on Twitter or Facebook or the Gareth Jones on Speed Reddit page even or anywhere, if you've got suggestions for cars that you would race in Ultra GT, I'd love to hear them. Alex, here's one, a car that I know you've driven. Yeah. The McLaren Artura would be eligible. The Artura, it would Ooh, be yeah. eligible. It's not, the thing is, it's not McLaren's quickest cars. The quickest car now is the 750S which has just replaced the 720S, which will inevitably have a Halo version, which will be 7... Because the last one was 765. Mm. So they've upped the... the so 40 is a pretty bit 795LT. Yeah, 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 like yeah. That. But the Archer, it's sort of the first of a new generation of McLarens that's... 
it's got a little bit of electricity in it, but it's not limited production because, of course, the Speedtail had electricity in it and the P1 had electricity in it. But this is a three litre twin turbocharged V6 and a Lecky motor, and then combined, it's got some ridiculous amount of power that I got 671 brake horsepower. That's enough. Which is quite a lot of power <laughs> the battery i went up to a, a, a media thing at caffeine and machine about it they were quite honest like they're using hybridization to make stuff go fast that's what it's good that for. is its job yeah. but you can as one of their test drivers discovered you can drive it largely electrically and do 70 miles to the gallon <laughs> for probably only 20 miles though right that's pretty impressive yeah but for getting out yeah. of town so if you leave your house and you drive up to the motorway for you know what's the electric range on it it's not huge but it's not tiny either 19 miles of electric range so you've got your 10 miles to the m25 then you've got i don't know 10 20 miles of running at low rpm in traffic at 50 60 miles an hour and then you get off the m25 and you're back on electric mode yeah what's not to like yeah 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 yeah. what's not to like about it and then your journey averages 70 muppagas it's the perfect vehicle and what was your impressions of the car because i've heard mixed things about mclaren mclaren come up with great designs but some of the engineering has been a little fragile in a kind of lotus kind of way this is what i hear oh let's not talk about fragile british engineering <laughs> today <again. laughs> <Yes. laughs> Touchy subject. You know, it didn't feel fragile, but the thing is, I drove it in the wet. It was torrential rain and it was cold and it was not my car. And there was someone from McLaren sitting next to me going, don't bend it. It was a nice bloke. We had a good old chat, but it wasn't really a push the car and see what happens kind of sitch. But it was composed. It was comfortable and it was quiet. And the thing that McLaren has always done really well, when you just have it in its most inert, boring day to day setting, it's a comfy, quick but composed car you're not punished for having a supercar and then you press a button all of a sudden it becomes like a bat out of hell and it's madder than a mad thing but it was impressive as i think my time with it can be described as more average use and i was really impressed with it i was really really impressed with it based on what i hear from mclaren owners the thing i would be most concerned about would be service costs it would be Mm. how much it costs me not to run it every day, putting one kind of juice or another in it. It's the servicing and the maintenance. thing is, if you're buying a £160,000 car, it's going to come with £160,000 car bills. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It goes to the territory. Hybrid systems are complicated. Electric systems are differently complicated but Mm. require less maintenance, whereas, you know, this is a complicated, all-new, custom-made V6 and a hybrid system that's been played with with the motorsport team who know what they're doing and know what they're up to. So it's all going to be highly strung. The, the whole deal with supercars is that they are at the limit of what technology will do, maybe not quite as far as a hypercar or a race car. But, you know, this is stuff that is at the very cutting edge-ish of what can be done on the day-to-day. But, yeah, with anything like that, is what I was warned when I bought my potentially late Aston Martin was that, yes, the car might be worth this much now, but when it was new and when they were devising servicing plans and maintenance and all that, you're paying for what was in 2011 an 85, 90 grand car. And with that comes big, nasty bills and sometimes Mm. big, nasty surprises. What is it they say? Grief is the price we pay for love. And if you have a car you really love, it's going to give you loads of grief. (laughs) 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah. There's a line in One Division, one of the really good Marvel TV series. It's great. Yeah. At which point, someone wrote a tweet going, "The moment he said this line, you could hear every screenwriter in Hollywood go." <laughs> <laughs> what is grief if not love persevering? Oh, oh, oh that is good. Oh. <laughs> Just right. Hey, let's leave it there. That's the most philosophical ending ever to an episode (laughs) of Gareth Jones on Speed. Your philosophers have been Alex Goy. Bye. Zog. Goodbye. And from me, in whatever reality you exist, may it be real. Wow, that was weird. That was weird. (laughs) For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed!